Welcome to Spirit Speak, exploring the afterlife with Connie and Barry Strom. Your hosts are here to speak the words of the spirits and answer your questions. Now, here are Connie and Barry. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Spirit Speak, exploring the afterlife. I'm Barry Strom, your host. Today, we're going to use our gift of spirit communication to investigate the sinking of the Titanic on its maiden voyage in 1912. And I'm Connie Strom, your co-host. Last week, we investigated heaven, life plans, and karma. We learned a lot about the afterlife and how things really work on the other side. All of our shows are available in our archives on the Voice America Network or on our YouTube channel, which is in Barry's name. This morning, we will actually be channeling the spirits of several of the individuals that were on the Titanic and perished. In 1912, the Titanic was the largest passenger ship afloat, and many thought that it was unsinkable. It measured 882 feet in length, had a maximum width of 93 feet, and was powered by coal-burning steam engines. The vessel left Southampton, England, with an estimated 2,224 passengers and crew members. On April 14th, it hit an iceberg about 375 miles south of Newfoundland and sunk, taking the lives of over 1,500 people. This morning, we're going to speak with the spirits of the captain of the ship, the lookout that spotted the iceberg, the bandmaster that played while the ship sunk, and John Jacob Astor, the wealthiest person in the world at the time, that perished with the ship. We'll also be speaking with Molly Brown. She was a survivor. So, Connie, let's begin by speaking with the captain of the Titanic, Captain E.J. Smith. Captain, thank you for joining us. Did you die during the sinking of the ship? Uh, Thank you for allowing me to come through this morning. Yes, I was one of the many that did not survive. I was the captain of the ship. None of us in the industry or on board ever believed that something as terrible as what happened to the Titanic could ever take place. But yes, I did not try to leave the ship on the lifeboats. I felt that it was his responsibility, my responsibility, to serve, to have the same fate as many of the other passengers and crew. Yeah, there's multiple conspiracy theories concerning the sinking of the Titanic, one of which is that it was her sister ship, the Olympia, that sunk instead of the Titanic. Are any of those conspiracies true? No, none of them are true. It was the Titanic. It will always be the Titanic. The sister ships were indeed very similar, but there were marked differences with them, especially in the interiors of the ship. The Titanic, it was the jewel of the ocean at the time. I was the most experienced captain available in the company. I was named to the ship. It was my responsibility. And yes, it seems like after terrible incidents happen that many people think there are conspiracies, but I'm not aware of any of them. Were you warned that there were icebergs at the area? 
we were indeed warned that there were icebergs. Ships in the area were telegraphing the fact that they were seeing icebergs. What I was not aware of is the fact that that year was a, a record year for icebergs and ice flows in that area of the Atlantic Ocean. There were many icebergs. Now keep in mind in these days, there was no radar. We had no way of really knowing where they were located. So other ships would telegraph locations. I had received multiple warnings that there were indeed icebergs. But keep in mind, we felt that the ship was unsinkable. We would use lookouts. We had a crow's nest on a mast in the front of the ship, and we would put our boys up on those in that vantage point to watch for icebergs. We never, ever thought that it would be possible that one could remain on scene, as happened for us. But yes, we were indeed warned. How fast was the ship traveling at the time of the collision, and why didn't you slow down if you were aware of icebergs in the area? The ship was traveling at a speed of about 22 knots. We were trying to get across the ocean as rapidly as possible. You see, in those days, there were no airplanes, and the passenger liners were the most luxurious way and the fastest way of going across the ocean. We were in competition. Canard Lines had large ships as well, and they were trying to compete. We thought that the Titanic was the ultimate vessel. The first-class capacities were the best uh, of any of the ships. We were trying our best to go as rapidly as possible. I'd heard the warnings, but I also knew that we had very important people on board and we were trying to keep our schedule. There's no doubt that I should have slowed down. I was trying to do my best. You must keep in your mind that we felt the ship was basically invincible. I thought that with our lookouts, we would be very safe. I never realized just how large or how many icebergs there were in the area. The decision is upon me. I'm the one that decided not to slow down. And I admire your taking credit for it, sir. Why were there not enough lifeboats for everyone on, the bo on board? There were several reasons. First of all, the company was in a rush to get the ship onto the water. In those days, it was not customary to have enough lifeboats for everyone that was on a ship. It was felt that there would be rescue vessels nearby and that you would be able to shuttle your survivors from the sinking ship to the rescuing vessels. We were caught off guard. We did not believe, first of all, that the Titanic could be sunk. And second of all, it sunk very rapidly. It was a very, very unusual 
method that or way that the iceberg struck the ship. It was a glancing blow and created damage along the length of the ship. There were sealed compartments, and the designer felt that the compartments would be adequate. But what happened was that the damage affected more of these compartments than the ship could handle. It was always felt that a ship of our size would take a while for it to sink. And if you would shuttle your lifeboats back and forth from a rescuing vessel, there would be plenty of time to get the people off. We had less than three hours. Was there anything that you could have done to save more lives? I could have slowed down the ship. I think that's the most obvious one. If the glancing blow that struck multiple compartments was the death knell for the Titanic. Sadly, we were trying to push as much as possible to get the ship across the ocean. Many members of the crew were not experienced in how to handle lifeboats. They had never had any real practice with dropping them overboard. And sadly, many of the lifeboats were not filled to capacity. There was much confusion. We had intended to do uh, a lifeboat drill, but it had not taken place. So there were many things. It was the perfect storm that came together. Was there anything that you could have done to prevent the collision? Well, as I said, I could have slowed down the ship. And we could have been better trained. Was any attempt made to save the third-class passengers? Yes. In the beginning, we tried to get the third-class passengers up on deck. But the ship was going down so fast that many of the compartments were flooding, and there was so much panic. So, sadly, many of the third-class passengers were the ones that, that paid the price. Okay. I think you've probably already answered this but was the crew familiar with any of the safety procedures and the proper use of the lifeboats? Some of the officers were, but the majority of the crew whose responsibility it was to get the people safely into the lifeboats were not experienced to the point that they should have been. The order was given women and children first, but there was a great uncertainty of who from the crew would go into the lifeboats that were familiar with how to use them. Obviously, the women and children in these boats by themselves had no idea what to do. So there were just simply many, many mistakes that were made that night. Thank okay. you, sir. Thank you, Captain. I appreciate it. You're a man of honor. Now, the lookout that night was an individual by the name of Frederick Fleet. He was the first to spot the iceberg. And now we're going to channel with the spirit of Frederick Fleet. Thank you, Frederick, for joining us. Uh, would you please describe the weather and the moon at the time of the accident? 
On the night of the accident, the weather was actually excellent. There was no moon. It was pitch dark. And the water was incredibly flat. It was actually a very, very difficult time to observe long distances on the water. You see, in those days, as the captain said, we had no radar, and they relied upon us. We were in what they referred to as a crow's nest. There was a front mast on the ship, and this crow's nest was about 50 feet in the air. It was always felt that we would be able to observe any dangers around us. On that night, it was incredibly quiet. On an ordinary night, there would be waves, and you would also use your ears as well as your eyes. You would be able to hear water breaking against an object such as an iceberg, but it was, it was an uncanny just how quiet and dark anything was at night. Were you aware that there were icebergs in the area? Yes. We were warned. We were told before we took our, our positions in the, in, the, in the lookout tower. We had never been in this portion of the ocean before. Even though I was an experienced lookout and I had served before in that position, I never realized the dangers that the natural conditions of that night brought upon us. I felt that we would be able to see. Generally, we had binoculars that we would use but there was a mix-up that night. They were The binoculars were locked in the cabinet, and we could not find the key. We felt that with this, the way the weather was, that our visibility would be fine. Maybe if we had had the binoculars, I would have seen it sooner. But it was not to be. Were you by yourself on the watch? No. There were two of us on the watch. I was I would watch the one side of the ship and my friend would watch the other. Now keep in mind that it was also extremely cold on that night. We were trying to stay warm up there. We were traveling at a high rate of speed over 20 miles per hour. So the wind chill of that night affected us as well. We tried to stay as alert as possible. I know my friend was watching from the on my left side. I I know that I was alert. I know that I was doing the best that I could have been doing under the circumstances. It was just like this object appeared out of nowhere on the water. If there had been wind if there had been waves, if there had been a moon. We had no lighting on the ship at the time. 
we were not using floodlights in front of the ship. They intentionally did not use floodlights because they wanted us to have the best night vision we could as we were, were standing our watches. But it was, it was simply a perfect storm. When you first saw the iceberg, how far away from the ship was it? When I first saw the iceberg, I would estimate that it was probably 500 feet, foot away from the ship, which was actually very close. We were, we were traveling at a high rate of speed. I gave the signal that uh, we had an iceberg. They tried to turn the ship as rapidly as possible. But I think the actual act of turning that ship allowed the iceberg to scrape along the side. We heard the noise of the iceberg hitting the side of the ship and the scraping sound. And we actually thought at the time that we had turned rapidly enough and that the ship had not been badly damaged. But apparently, there was an edge of the iceberg that stuck out and penetrated the side of the ship. And the rest is history. I don't think that more than 30, 45 seconds elapsed from the time I saw it until we first struck the iceberg. Oh, my. Why did you not see the iceberg sooner? The lack of lighting? There were, there were several reasons. There are phenomena that take place. There can be a mist form, especially on a cold night on the ocean. There was no light, no natural light. There was no, there were no waves. If there had been waves, I would have been able to probably see the white reflection of a wave breaking on the iceberg. It was just as I said earlier, it simply was like this perfect storm of events that came through and none of it worked in the favor of the Titanic. Okay, let's take short break here uh we'll be back in two minutes and then we are going to continue our conversation with mr fleet connie and barry will be back after a few words from our sponsors follow voice america at facebook.com forward slash voice america for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts is death the end of the journey of the soul or a time of new beginnings? Is there proof of an afterlife? What would historic figures say if they lived today? Psychic and channeler Barry Strom uses his gift of spirit communication to answer these questions and explore all aspects of the hereafter. Have all the information necessary not to fear life's final journey. Tune in to Spirit Speak, exploring the afterlife with Connie and Barry Strom. Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device. 
including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Psychic and author Barry Strom has now published nine books dealing with supernatural subject from ghosts to aliens. His most recent books, Messages of God and Messages of the Prophet Muhammad for a Modern World, bring you the channeled messages of the founders of Christianity and Islam. Their words are intended to guide their followers through these modern times. These books are available in softcover and ebook on Amazon.com. Signed copies of all of Strom's books are available on his website, www.barrystrom.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Spirit Speak, exploring the afterlife. Here are your hosts, Connie and Barry Strom. Okay, everyone, welcome back. Uh, let's continue speaking with the spirit of the lookout on the Titanic, Mr. Frederick Fleet. Connie? Frederick, did you feel personal blame for the sinking of the Titanic? I felt, I felt great personal blame for it. I... Well, when we got back, many people blamed me personally for the for the incident, saying that I should have seen the iceberg, I should have done this, I should have done that. But I can tell you that I was I did the absolute best that I could do. When you're out in the middle of the ocean, fifty feet in the air, traveling twenty two miles per hour, and the temperature is freezing, it's not an easy place to be. You're trying to keep warm. You're trying to do your job. You're actually thinking that you can see things much further than the reality of that night was allowed. I looked back. I tried to think of what else I could have done. And then when everyone started to blame me for the incident, I did. I, I felt intense personal blame for it. I think those people were wrong. Since the order when loading the lifeboats was women and children first, how was it that you were saved? Once we hit the iceberg and we knew the, the impending danger and the order was given to load the lifeboats, I assisted helping pe putting people into them. As the captain stated, the women and children had no idea what to do inside these boats. The one that I was working on, there was still space and there was no, no other members of the crew. So I spoke to another one of the crew members and I said, we have got to go with this ship where they're not, they're, they will sink the lifeboat. So basically, even though it was the women and children first, after there were no more women and children, it was the duty of the crew to come in to, to show the women and children how to handle these boats and to try to get them to a rescue ship. Keep in mind, as we were loading, we did not know if there was going to be any 
ships in the area. So we did not know how long we were going to be in these lifeboats. Terrible. After you returned home, how did that incident affect you personally? It was terrible. All I can say to you is that I started to feel all of this personal doubt. I started to feel like maybe I really was the one that was to blame for all these people dying. I suffered great depression from it and even eventually wound up taking my own life. I'm so sorry you went through that, sir. Frederick, thank you so much for speaking with us. It was, uh, as you said, it was a perfect storm. The more I read about the shipping, the sinking of the ship, I realized that there was really very little you could do at the time. So anyway, thank you for being with us. Okay, at the time of the sinking of the ship, John Jacob Astor IV was one of the richest men on the planet. He and his younger wife were on the Titanic and wound up perishing with the ship. So, Mr. Astor, thank you for joining us here. Yes, thank you, Mr. Astor. Will you tell us a little bit about yourself? I invested quite heavily in real estate. My family had had a lot of money, and I built some wonderful hotels in New York, Waldorf, the Waldorf Astoria, many great buildings. I had accumulated a lot of money. I had divorced my wife. We had had several children, and I had remarried to this wonderful lady. She was much younger than I was, and we had had much criticism in the local newspapers. So she and I had gone on an extended holiday to, to Europe, and the accommodations, there was nothing to match it on the Titanic. We wanted to have a wonderful trip back. She was going to have our baby. So we decided that we would ride upon the Titanic, and that would be the best way that we could get back to the United States. Hey, you got your wife onto one of the lifeboats. Why didn't you join her? The order had come back, come going out for women and children first. That was being interpreted in different ways by the crew that was helping to load the lifeboats. It was basically pandemonium. It became obvious that many of the crew members did not know what to do. Some of the boats, they were allowing men in. There were some of the crew were trying to get in with some of the, in some of the boats. I managed to get my wife into one of the lifeboats. As I looked around, there were many other women and children that did not know what to do. Husbands were trying to get their wives and children onto these boats. I felt... I did not realize the severity of the situation that was going on. I still thought that there might be a chance that the ship was not going to sink. I certainly did not think that it was going to sink as fast as it did. I got my wife onto one of the boats. I had no idea how to handle the boats. 
So I wanted crew members to go with her. Several stepped forward, and the boat she was on was not overloaded. And I felt that I would wait, and after the women and children were safely taken care of, I would get on one of the later boats. And as the captain was telling you in those days, the theory was that boats would go and come back. The main thing that I wanted was for my wife to survive, obviously. I told her that I would be fine. I thought that I would be able to get onto one of the later boats and that we would have more time. So I just simply wanted to assure that she was in the safest position possible. So when you made that decision to remain on the ship at that point, you really didn't think that you were going to perish. You thought for sure that you would be joining her. I feared that it would be a, that it would be a very difficult time for me. I thought there was nobody telling us that the ship was going was sinking so rapidly. When she left, the boat was not listing that bad. I had heard, I had read all the information about the ship. I knew how safe it was supposed to be, and I knew it was unsinkable. I also knew that I was willing to sac my, sacrifice my life for her and our child. While I thought that there was a very, very good chance that I would not survive, I also felt that there was a slight chance that I could. But keep in mind, the only thing that I really wanted was to be assured that her safety, that I wanted to assure that she would be able to have our child. That was true love. J.P. Morgan had a ticket at a lot of items for his mansions on the ship, but canceled and removed the items from the ship. Why did he do that? I knew that JP was going to be was supposed to be on the ship, just the same as there were others that were supposed to be on the ship as well. You see, the launching of the Titanic was a great social event. First class was going to be some of the richest and most well-known individuals in the business community at the time. My friend Guggenheim was there, and he perished on the ship as well. I knew that Milton Hershey had tickets. I knew that JP was supposed to be there. I was surprised when we actually loaded and boarded the ship that some of these individuals were not on. I heard that Milton had had it business that he and his wife had to take care of. And I'd also heard that JP had many priceless antiques that he had purchased in Europe and that he was planning to put into his mansions in the United States. I did not realize that he had had the items removed from the ship. After I was on the other side, and when the time came that JP joined us, he mentioned that he had had a dream that he was not supposed to be on the ship, that something bad was going to happen to it. 
So I think that basically what he did was respond to that uh, dream that he had. I'm not aware of him having any information that, that the ship was going to have an intentional accident or that there were insurance problems or anything else. As the captain said earlier, he's not aware of any, any great circumstances or conspiracies that were going to take place. I do wish that I had handled things differently. When my wife's lifeboat was being lowered, I realized that there was room and that I should have joined her. But once the decision was made, it was made, and there was, was very little I could do. As the ship went down, I tried to bring comfort to a lot of people on board. It was, it was pandemonium. Once the people on the ship realized that truly they were going to pass, many of them, many of them were praying. Many of them were singing hymns together. There were preachers on the ship that were giving final rites to the people. It was it was an almost indescribable time. I know that many people could have been saved. As we watched the, sh the lifeboats being lowered into the waters, some of us realized that the ships, that the boats were not full. I think many of the people as I did, believed that, the, that there would be a rescue ship, that that rescue ship would show up and that the lifeboats would be able to take people over and drop them on the, the rescue ships and come back and get more people. I don't really blame anyone for what took place. I th think that it was a massive bunch of mistakes I think that the owners of the ship were making mistakes I think they were pushing too hard that the crew was inexperienced we had never had any lifeboat drills as you have on the modern ships today keep in mind there were no regulations the steamship lines were basically free to lead their businesses the way they wanted to do it. After the sinking of the Titanic, it became apparent that rules had to be changed. I think after the sinking of the Titanic, many things changed in the in, in the industry. The owners of the ship were heavily criticized 
for not having enough of the vessels of the lifeboats. That changed after the sinking. Many things changed. Some laws were passed. There were there were many changes that took place after the sinking of the Titanic. There were many, many brave people on that ship that night. It is impossible for me to tell all, all of the wonderful stories of people that were trying to comfort others. It was, it was a terrible evening. I'm sorry you all had to go through that, but you all do seem to have wonderful character. Thank you so much, sir. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much. It, uh, it is amazing what people can do under such circumstances. One of the stories that the survivors spoke of from the ship was that the band played music dressed in their finest until the ship finally sank. Wallace Hartley was one of the bandmasters on the Titanic. He spoke, or the survivors spoke, of being able to hear the music of the band's playing. So his spirit is joining us here today. So, Mr. Hartley, thank you so much. Sir, is it true that your band played until the final moment of the sinking of the ship? That's incredible. When, when the order came down that we were supposed to load the lifeboats, it was pandemonium. The captain and officers had all of us prepare our bands. Our, well, there were two bands on board. We got into our finest clothes. And the captain asked that we would try to calm everybody by playing music. We formed the band on the, on the deck, and we did our best to calm others. We played many songs that night. We played them. We played as loud as we could because it was the noise of the ship sinking and breaking apart was incredible. There were people all around us who were crying, screaming. Husbands were trying to find their wives and children. They were trying to say that final goodbye. Many of them realized that the end of their lives were truly approaching. We did our best to calm all of the individuals that were around us. We began by playing light music. We played classical music. We played many, many different types of music. When it started to become apparent that the ship would be sinking and many would be losing their lives, we started to play religious songs. We played hymns. We played everything that we thought we could do to save those on board. Okay, it's time to take another small break here. When we come back, we'll finish talking with Mr. Hartley. 
Connie and Barry will be back after a few words from our sponsors. A little birdie told me Voice America is on Twitter. Follow us at Voice America TRN. Psychic and author Barry Strom has now published nine books dealing with supernatural subject from ghosts to aliens. His most recent books, Messages of God and Messages of the Prophet Muhammad for a Modern World, bring you the channeled messages of the founders of Christianity and Islam. Their words are intended to guide their followers through these modern times. These books are available in softcover and ebook on Amazon.com. Signed copies of all of Strom's books are available on his website, www.barrystrom.com. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Is death the end of the journey of the soul or a time of new beginnings? Is there proof of an afterlife? What would historic figures say if they lived today? Psychic and channeler Barry Strom uses his gift of spirit communication to answer these questions and explore all aspects of the hereafter. Have all the information necessary not to fear life's final journey. Tune in to Spirit Speak, exploring the afterlife with Connie and Barry Strom. Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Spirit Speak, exploring the afterlife. Have a question for Barry or their guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking about the singing of the Titanic, and we're honored with the spirit of Wallace Hartley, one of the bandmasters that was on board. So, Connie, let's continue our questions for him. Mr. Hartley, why didn't you try to save yourselves at the last time moments? Well, the order was women and children first, and we felt that it was our duty. We felt that we could serve a real service by trying to help the people. And we always thought that there would be a chance we would be rescued. But we were just simply trying to do what was best for everyone around us. Doing what was right. What was it like in the final moments? In the final moments, things really started to calm down. The people came to the realization that the end was coming. And most of them were praying. We tried to play religious music. We played. I remember that the final song that we played was Near My God to Thee. And then the ship began to violently break up, and and it was the end for us. Mr. Hartley, was this part of your life plan? When I arrived back on the other side, I found that it was. That I was supposed to be there to try to help people at that time. You have to understand that human lives are short, and you never know when it's going to be, be cut short. So you must do the best you can in service to God. Thank you, sir, for all that you did for those passengers, and thank you for joining us today. Okay, Connie, one of the survivors was Molly Brown. 
she played an instrumental role in trying to get people into the lifeboats. And if you've heard the term, the unsinkable Molly Brown, this is, uh, this is the lady for which it's written. So let's speak with the unsinkable Molly Brown. Molly, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I was, I was, I guess you would call a socialite. I was in Europe. I knew that all of the famous people were going to be on board the ship. I knew that it was going to be basically a great party among the rich, the first-class people. Tickets were very, very expensive. I know that compared to American dollars today, some of the tickets were in excess of $100,000. But this ship, it was so highly, highly spoken of. It was thought to be the safest ship in the world. It was supposed to be the most comfortable, the best. And I wanted to be part of it. Okay. How did you learn that the ship was going to sink? I was asleep in my cabin, and I felt this shudder of the ship as it hit the iceberg. We were in first-class cabins, and our steward came to the door and knocked on it and said, there's a problem with the ship. You need to, you need to get dressed. There's going to be a, an emergency, and you need to come up on the main deck. I didn't realize just how bad things were. When I got up on the main deck, there were many people there. Most of them were from first and second class. And then the captain gave the orders to load the lifeboats. And I knew that there was a serious problem at that point. How did the crew react to the order of abandoning ship? Many of the crew members couldn't believe it. They had signed onto the ship knowing that it was incredibly safe, that it was no way that the ship was going to sink. Many of them were inexperienced. As many of them, this was the first, obviously, this was everybody's first trip on the Titanic. It was their maiden voyage. The crew members, many of them really didn't know how to load the lifeboats. They didn't know how to lower them. Keep in mind, those boats were... were 20, 25 feet off of the ocean. So there was great risk when they, did, when they would swing them over to the side and try to lower them to the water. I think the crew members basically did the best they could. Did anyone take charge of loading the lifeboats? I know that some of the officers were trying, but keep in mind there was a long line of these boats. And no one was really assigned to be in charge of any one boat. So the crew and the officers were doing the best they could, but it was pandemonium. Could you tell us about the role that you played in loading the lifeboats? I tried to help the best I could. I guess I was known in life as being a little bit on the pushy side, but I attempted to get them things partially organized. I would select women and children, and I would assist them in getting into the boats. I would try to, if I would see a boat that was partially filled, 
I would try to direct them to that boat. I tried to keep them calm. I told them that everything would be fine. I told them that the boats were coming to the rescue, other ships, although I had no idea. I told them that they needed to stay calm and do the best. I needed, I helped them in putting on their life jackets, although that was basically useless because the water was so cold that if they jumped into the water, they, the cold temperatures would take their strength away almost immediately. I did all of the things that I thought would help. I told them, I told them to pray. I told them to ask for help. I told them that they needed to be strong. And I helped some of the crew members lower some of the boats. And then I finally got into one myself. Were you prepared to go down with the ship if that became necessary? Had that been necessary, I would have had no choice. Everyone on that ship wanted to live. There was nobody that wanted to go down with that ship. But as I looked around, I saw all these people that I thought needed help. I saw women and children that were terrified. I saw them saying goodbye to their husbands, knowing that they would never see them again. I saw children screaming, knowing that they would never see their fathers again. I did my best. Had I been, had it been necessary for me to go down with the ship, then obviously I would have done what needed to be, what what people needed to do. God blessed me by saving me my life on that terrible night. I realized once I got back to shore that he had done me an incredible gift. He'd given me a second chance. I tried to do things to help people after that. I tried to do the best that I could. I cannot tell you what it was like that night on that ship. I cannot tell you how it breaks your heart to watch people saying their final goodbyes. I can't tell you what it was like when I looked back and saw those band members sitting on that deck. And I knew that their time was going to be so limited. I can't tell you the bravery that was shown by so many people whose bravery will never be remembered or noted. It was a long time ago that all this took place. But I can still remember it like it was like it was just yesterday. I hope that individuals recall the terrible night that the the Titanic went to the bottom of the ocean. It was was a terrible night for all. It was. What did you think of your nickname, the unsinkable Molly Brown? Well, I guess they needed somebody to be a hero. Many of the real heroes went down with the ship. I had done my best, and the newspapers, so I guess they were told about my story. And they started calling me the unsinkable Molly Brown. 
Well, I must tell you, I didn't feel unsinkable when I was on the Titanic. But as time went on, I started to really enjoy the fact. I guess I was a little bit of a publicity nut. I tried to do many things. And I must admit that I didn't mind the nickname. So could you tell us about your life after the Titanic incident? It obviously changed you. I did try to take advantage of it. I even ran for Senate, although I didn't make it. I tried to help others. I tried to fulfill some political ambitions that I had. I tried to do my best to make sure that people heard the stories of the brave individuals whose stories would never be told again. It was certainly a life-changing event, and I tried to make the most of it. I tried to have others understand what took place. I just simply tried to do the best I could. Thank you. We'd like to, Barry and I would like to thank all of you wonderful spirits for coming through for us today. We have learned a lot about how ordinary citizens can perform extraordinary acts of bravery. May God bless all of you. Yes, thank you so much. It was, I think, a very interesting, great show. Next week, we're going to devote our show to miracles and the roles of archangels. We're going to speak with multiple archangels, such as Azrael, Michael, Raphael, Uriel, Metatron. If you like angels, you're going to love this show. I currently have nine books available on Amazon.com. My latest, Messages of God for a Modern World, consists of 60 messages that we channeled on our Wednesday morning podcast, A Weekly Message from Jesus. Makes a wonderful daily devotional, great gift for a friend. Book is available in soft cover. It's available as an ebook in both English and Spanish. Signed copies are available on my website, barrystrom.com. I'd like to thank all of you for joining us on the Voice America Variety Radio Network today. Please tell your friends about our show. If you'd like to see more of our channelings, we've got 430 videos on our YouTube channel. And it's in the name of Barry Strom. Okay, I hope all of you enjoyed our conversation with the spirits of the Titanic. I hope that the bravery that those people exhibited is not forgotten. It's a classic example of uncommon valor that can be shown by very common people. Please tell your friends about our show. I hope that uh, many more will take time to listen to it. We try to help. Join us each Tuesday mornings at 9 a.m. Pacific time on the Voice America Variety Network. We will be back. We will be doing everything we can to help you learn about the afterlife. So thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Spirit Speak, exploring the afterlife with Connie and Barry Strom. Tune in next week for another informative and inspiring episode on the Voice America Variety Channel at 9 a.m. Pacific Time.